All right, guys, we're back. Not with another episode of Find Your Film regarding our weekly recommendations. This one is our once every other week director spotlight. This time it is Bruce Perky's turn. He is now dubbed today, quote, as out of the perks. Bruce Perky, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going, since it is your turn for this director spotlight, tell us about what you're going to be spearheading with this Find Your Film episode. We're going to be talking about the director, Jacques. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Jacques Turner or Jack Turner or Jacques Turner. <laughs> and uh, he is probably most well known in some circles for cat people, in other circles for out of the past. I had just, I liked the movie Night of the Demon from way in the past. I looked at the director, I looked back saw he had a bunch of stuff that I didn't know. And I thought this would be a great director to delve into because I don't know much about his work. So that's why I brought it to you guys. And what were the two movies right off the bat that you just chose? I guess in kind of cool, but blind fashion, there was a second sort of yes. blind fashion. Yeah. So tell, you know, I went to the, I, you know how you go to the IMDb page of anything and it'll show you like the top four, the four they're known for kind of a thing. And I went for Night of the Demon. I went to Jack Turner, Jacques Turner. And I saw that one of his was out of the past. I thought, okay, that doesn't look like a horror movie, but it's on his top four, according to IMDb. So I just said, out of the past. I, I saw Robert Mitchum and, and uh, Kirk Douglas. I thought, well, how bad could it be? <laughs> you know. So, so those are the two I picked, was Night of the Demon and Out of the Past. And you have your, your DVD of Night of the Demon, Curse of the Demon as well, mm-hmm. somewhere on, on your person. And yep. a little bit of a teaser for this, full-fledged episode eric holmes from your i guess couple of weeks of watching turner films or reading up about jacques turner what are a couple of things that you really found interesting about him as a director um well i i did like his uh like like bruce said i like his uh you know that he does different things you know he's, he's got he handles the horror well and he handles the kind of film noir really well i kind of kind of film noir kind of love story and he just he just meshes a bunch of you know genres that probably shouldn't work well, but they kind of do. Um, and uh, yeah, it was like the uh, jo- Joseph Lewis, but then you kind of mix a little bit of Mario Bava in there or uh, Ida, Lupi- Ida Lupino, and uh, you got a you got quite the cinematic sauce, I would say. Very cool cinematic sauce with Jacques Turner. And to Bruce's point, he he didn't mind if people called him in America because he's a French film director. He moved over to America with his filmmaker father. I believe his name is Maurice Turner. He, but he was fine with everyone just calling him Jack Turner. But since all three of us are such cinephiles and we, instead of saying French New Wave, we might say French New Volvog, we're going to call him for this episode, Jacques Turner. And I'm just go, going, without further ado, one of the things before we start off with our first with our first picture out of the past, I wanted to add that I was I checked out a couple of his interviews and he said, this is and this was actually archived by Criterion. He said, "Well, I just don't like when people make movies that are just big, really based on reality." And you have to remember, this guy—he was born 1904, died in 1977, so he was of a certain ilk of filmmaking. He said he just wants to take people so- somewhere. He wants movies to be a form of escapism. Bruce, is that something that you really felt from the movies that you've watched from Turner? Yeah, I, I felt like, well, everything that I've watched of his so far, there is definitely an element of entertainment there. Like he is wanting to tell you a story. He's not going to get too esoteric. There might be elements to it that are really artistic and beautiful, but at their heart, they're just 
entertaining stories. And I think I saw that throughout his movies. And it's funny because both sides of him, the noir side and the horror side, still at their core, I think are for anybody would be pretty entertaining movies. So, Okay. And before we get to our first film, just a little double teaser is Eric Holmes is he has, he has this tendency of also, he ends up watching a lot of stuff. So he has, I believe Eric, you actually, we no you saw for the first time cat people. So we're going to talk a little bit about cat people, which I haven't seen Bruce. You've seen that movie as well. Twice, three times. Yeah. Three times. So you got to check that out. You've, you've saw, you saw cat people as well, Eric, you, you saw that movie. Yeah. 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 That was one I thought I, I, I was telling you guys off air. Uh, I thought I seen it and I watch it. I'm like, Oh no, I have not seen this. <laughs> I don't know what I was confusing it with, but uh, it, it was uh, definitely not at all what I expected. And yeah, but I, yeah, I did watch it and enjoyed it quite a bit. Very cool. That, that, that watching of cat people actually dovetails to some of Eric and Bruce's own aesthetics. I can't wait to hear what Bruce has to say about the trilogy of films that Turner made with producer Val Luton. Why, who, <laughs> who I thought actually directed Cat People, and that was because I'm ignorant. But he was a producer of Cat People. They were very successful collaborators. Okay, we're gonna get to that atmospheric, moody stuff with Luton. But first, let's get to Bruce Perky's first pick, the 1947 film, Out of the Past, obviously directed by Jacques Turner, screenplay by Daniel Main Waring, and based on his novel Build My based on his novel, Build My Gallows High. Love that title, Build My Gallows High. It, that's a, an appropriate title for the, the events that transpire for Out of the Past. So Bruce, your initial thoughts, just talk about the movie overview and, you know. Well, first of all, I, I mean, now I feel a little more informed on noir. I think my noir history was pretty lacking. And I think through this process, you've definitely introduced me to some more kind of essential noir. So when I saw this movie... Uh, which I ended up loving. I was like, wow, this is the noiriest noir I've ever seen. You know, this is, this is so awesome. And um, I, I loved the convoluted plot, but it was convoluted in a, in a fantastic way. And I absolutely loved the, the dialogue. It's got all of those. I mean, this is so quotable. There's so much noir. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. That, that, kind of quippy, you know, tough dude, tough guy, don't give a damn, you know, you know, femme fatale, all this kind of stuff going on in there. And it's just done so well. But then on top of that, there's a lot of style here as well. Um, and then Robert Mitchum uh, really as the star of this one, I think shines. And then Kirk Douglas, definitely he in a smaller role, you can see like, wow, this guy's going to be something. He's, he's really great. And, and uh, what Jane Greer, right? Jane Greer, yeah. She's awesome too. So I yeah. I, I just love this movie. I, I loved it throughout. One of my problems as a moviegoer and cinephile is I often miss the target. I like to hang around the fringes and talk about movies I love that are not the bullseye, like right down the middle. And I think right down the middle out of the past could be argued, arguably considered the best or most influential film noir. I mean, it's just a, a perfect movie. If you want beautiful black and white photography, it's there. If you want an iconic femme fatale performance, you're not going to top Jane Greer in the film. Even though it is, like you said, Robert Mitchum's movie, he's the one who carries the film. He's, you actually feel Jane Greer's presence, like, 
like Brando and Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now. You really feel her presence pervade throughout the film. And before we get to you, Eric, just a very quick plot synopsis. Mitchum plays a former private eye. His name's Jeff. Jeff decides for some reason he opens up a somewhat abandoned gas station, which probably is making pennies on the dollar. And yeah. it's it's in this really abandoned town. And there's, there's a diner across the street. There's a deaf kid on a bike and it's a dusty road. And you're wondering, this is a place where people go to either die or for people to forget about them until from quote unquote, out of, out of the past, a mysterious man named Joe played by Paul Valentine happens upon the gas station and starts asking the deaf kid, where the heck is Jeff played by Robert Mitchum. And then after that, you real, you get into Jeff's story as a private eye and his relationship with the aforementioned femme, femme fatale, Kathy played by Jane Greer. And Kathy is married to this really strong arming, powerful, very smart crime Lord, just, Evil man named Wit, played by Kirk Douglas. Due to our, we've been doing Find Your Film for a while. We all know how much Eric Holmes loves Kirk Douglas. I'm going to leave all my comments about Kirk Douglas to Eric Holmes. He's going to have the monopoly on his thoughts on Kirk Douglas on this film. But that's the actual setup. A lot of this story is set in flashback. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the plot details and our thoughts on the movie. But we're a little... triple teaser after this spotlight on Jacques Tourneur all three of us were going to do a special spoiler episode that is exclusive to our website findyourscene.com where we will give spoilers on Nightfall Night of the Demon and Out of the Past it's a very to me this is a four and a half to five star film for me and I I think it's just it makes me want to watch this over and over again and sometimes movies Bruce and Eric, sometimes movies that are so perfect and obvious as this, I try to stay away from because it's just one of these things. It's just the obvious choice. And for if you are a film noir lover, the obvious choice is out of the past. Although I spent, Bruce, 30 years watching really B-grade noirs until I got to finally really watching the Michael Jordan of film noirs from the 40s. And that is out of the past. Do you feel that strongly about this film, Eric Holmes and... Yes. What did you think of Kirk Douglas in this movie? Yes. Well, well first of all, the, once I found out that I, I think Bruce was the one that mentioned Kirk Douglas, I'm like, oh, well, this movie's going to be a five out of five for me. <laughs> Sight unseen. I, I don't know what it is. I, 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 you know, we mentioned before that I've been going through, you know, slowly, slowly going through Kirk Douglas's uh, filmography. And every time he's in a movie, I, I think the worst one I saw was still really, 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 really good. And this is uh, this is definitely, definitely another uh, notch on his uh, perfect streak for me so far. Yeah, this was, uh, and of course, this is also Robert Mitchum's movie because Kirk Douglas is kind of shows up at the beginning and he shows up then maybe a little bit in between. He's not in it that much. I'd like, I mean, I'd like him to be in the whole thing, but that's not the story <laughs> they tell him. The, the uh, Robert Mitchum's character definitely confused me at first because uh, without the uh, knuckle tattoos, I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> Cape Fear. Re- wait, Night of the Hunter reference, right? Night of the Hunter yep. reference. Yep. Very cool. Yeah. But uh, he, yeah, Robert Mitchum is really good too. And Night of the Hunter, he's like creepy. And this, he's kind of a, he has a, you know, don't really care attitude. 
it's like wait, wait, wait you know ooh, they're gonna kill you eh, oh. wait, bruce what was that what was that line that uh oh, I, yeah. I, I forget the line that you brought up but pointed out a line that just nails his character perfectly oh right? i have to pull it back up i don't remember it anymore but uh, there's uh, like so many good ones but yeah there's that one i know you're talking about it says, <laughs> says someone i'm gonna mess this up but it's something along the lines of uh he ain't gonna kill me but if he does i'm gonna be killed last or something yes something to, <laughs> yeah. something to that effect and the uh femme fatale the uh greer what what's her name jane, right. greer. jane greer jane greer jane yes. greer yeah yeah she's just uh constantly trying to get one over on him and every time he catches her, he's like, "Oh, you dumb, dumb, <laughs> you dummy!" And then she, yeah, I, I, out of the, this is a fantastic movie. It, it's hilarious and it's kind of uh, uh, suspenseful, but it, it's weird because it doesn't get too suspenseful because Robert Mitchum's character just does not care. Like he, he's just, I'm just gonna do my thing. And it's like, well, it could be dangerous. And it's like, I don't. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna smoke, you know. It's it's cool, and like he he just he just has a uh, really relaxed attitude throughout the whole thing. But it, it normally that would kill the suspense, but it kind of works in this. I don't know why, but yeah, I love this movie. You, you know what I found very interesting about Out of the Past is the Jane Greer character, Kathy. She, without giving too much away, she's sort of the pretty much the gravitational pull of Out of the Past. She's the center. Of, of how everything goes. And whenever there's a femme fatale being the center of everything, it's because, okay, they're the object of a male, the male gaze, the, the male's obsession, all that stuff. And that's, that's here. But a lot of times these women, they don't have their own agency. They're caught up in a whirlpool of suspense. They, they create, they create things that usually lead to the, to a man's downfall, but they don't have any real agency regarding their own decisions. And, I I found Kathy to be a very strong character and she was the one playing chess and everyone playing checkers. Bruce, is that something that you felt really elevated the genre as far as this, this being more than a grade B film noir? Uh, yes. And I think that what I see about her character that's really interesting is that a lot of times, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of times when you have this kind of a, we'll call her femme fatale character, whatever it is, you start out thinking that she's, you know, maybe mysterious, but she's in need and you need to help her out. And then the the other shoe kind of drops or something twists. But here, right out of the gate, you know, she's dangerous and that she isn't hauled together to be trusted, you know, but Kirk Douglas wants her back after she's already shot him, right? Isn't that the whole setup? So when he gets set down, when Mitchum gets sent down, his character to uh, Acapulco, if I remember correctly. Mexico, um, somewhere, yeah, all, somewhere, yeah. Mexico City, all, all parts of Mexico, right? <laughs> yeah, he goes down there to find her. It's like, first of all, you have to buy into the fact that everyone wants this woman. So she walks into the room and it's like, da-da-da, and it's like, but it works. And then they have their banter and then he starts to fall for her knowing that she's dangerous. And then that is, is I think, what kind of sets her up a little differently because right out of the gate, you know what you got, but she still has that power and that she's still beguiling. And she's very, like, she meets him word for word in kind of the banter too, when they first meet. She's his equal. She isn't like being played by him. In fact, she's kind of, you know, is she playing him as much? Probably. And so I think that that makes her a very interesting character and really the third cog in that machine there, you know. Also, brief mention, Meta Carson, that's another character, is played by Rhonda Fleming. I, she's Meta Carson ends up being one of the people that Jeff has to deal with because Jeff ultimately has to 
He gets into business with Wit, like Bruce was saying. He's hired to find Kathy, who runs away after she shoots her husband, her lover. And Jeff goes on this trip to Mexico to find Kathy. And all the all the stuff happens, which we're not going to get into un, un, until we get to the spoiler section. But Rhonda Fleming plays Meta Carson, an, another woman he encounters and who sort of is part of that web of intrigue. And she's very good in her small role. I've seen a lot of Rhonda Fleming films. Just a shout out to her. And also Paul Valentine as Joe, yeah. Joe as the right-hand man of wit. He's just a, an oily, sniveling kind of guy who thinks he's tough, but he realizes he's not as good as Jeff and he's not as good as wit. I love when there's a third banana type of that. Quick little trivia. I'm sure you guys knew this. or it was, This movie was remade in 1984 as Against All Odds, mm-hmm. and it featured a cameo performance. Yes, surprise from, from Eric Holmes. It featured a cameo performance as Paul Valentine. He played a congressman in that. And also that movie happened. I can't wait to rewatch Against All Odds in 1984, that 1984 film. It also stars Jane Greer. So Eric mm-hmm. Holmes. I love that movie, Against All Odds. <laughs> and I didn't even put it together until you just now said it. And I'm like... That makes so much sense. <laughs> I love this movie even more. <laughs> I don't, I, I haven't seen that movie since 84. And yeah, it's a good movie against all odds, Eric Holmes. You, you, so you oh, yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the last time I saw it was probably a year ago and it still, it still holds up pretty good. All right. Great Phil Collins song. We all know Bruce Perky is the number one Phil Collins fan, aren't you? <laughs> no comment. Oh, wait, wait, I'm sorry. That, that would be me. That would be me. I'm gonna throw myself under the bus. I'm the number two Phil Collins fan. So oh, I'm, I'm, very, I'm right there with you. Very, very good, Phil Collins. Genesis. Yes, it was. Can Genesis. I throw? Can I throw in a couple of non non spoiler trivia's that I found about this? Yes, movie of too? course, of course. Yes, yes. Yeah, I found a couple of really good ones. Okay. Whether they're true or not, I don't know. One is that I guess Mitchum, being his usual badass self, I guess they were flying them out to the location there. That the, the, the um, oh, I always forget where it starts out. Is it Nevada? I can never remember why. Yeah, Lake Tahoe, Lake Tahoe, maybe. So, so, Lake Tahoe. Oh yeah, Lake Tahoe. Duh. Yeah. So they're he's they're flying out to location, and they're in a small plane, like a Cessna or something, and it it has a really hard landing, like nearly a crash landing on the way to the set, and the two guys, whoever's in the back seat, get knocked out. The pilot and Mitchum do not get knocked out, and then Mitchum, being who he is, gets out. Well, the plane's crashed. Um. Hitchhikes to the stay to the <laughs> hitchhikes to the set and start acts. That's that's what he does. He goes straight from the crash site. And then the wow, other great that's thing, amazing. this yeah. is in the movie, and a couple places mentioned this one. And I thought it was great. And if you didn't notice it, there's a scene when he's first meeting um, Kirk Douglas's character, Wit, and he and he was smoking so much on the set. Mitchum was. You might have heard this one. He's smoking so much on the set. If you notice, he walks in with a cigarette already in his hand. But the line that Kirk is supposed, Kirk Douglas is supposed to do is he's supposed to feed him, hey, do you want a cigarette? <laughs> so he does his line. And then Mitchum just ad libs like, I already got one or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thank you for that, Bruce. There's a lot of, yes, there's a lot of smoking and smoking's not good for you. But you know what? It's a film lore. It's in black and white and smoking looks really cool in these movies. You know, so shoot me. So shoot us. But Okay, out of the past, strong is around the board. Strong recommendations for all of us. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Okay, and anything else you guys want to say regarding out of the past? Oh, by the way, I saw out of the past because my thank thanks to my mother, she recently recorded 
a TCM Essentials. It was on TCM. It's currently on TCM right now. You can get it on streaming via TCM. But out of the past, it, they did a TCM Essentials with the host, I believe, Mankowitz. I forgot, it's Ben Mankowitz. And then mm-hmm. also, also his co-host for the Essentials was director Brad Bird, talking about mm-hmm. his love for out of the past, Brad Bird. He of Ratatouille and Mission Impossible, I believe Ghost Protocol. So very cool little segment. If you're really into TCM, you can catch it out there. So out of the past considered, like like Bruce said, one of his top films, Good, easy to know why. It's only 97 minutes. It's a perfect, in my opinion, film noir. After Out of the Past, Robert Mitchum starred in The Big Steel with Jane Greer. And that movie, I have to rewatch again, but I remembered watching that movie and realizing how darn funny they are as a couple. And so after rewatching Out of the Past with you guys, I can't wait to watch The Big Steel as well because Jane Greer is awesome. Eric. I, I was going to say, um, I, I, I saw Out of the Past probably... Uh... Uh, I think last week, early last week, uh, when we were doing this, and now you mentioned against all odds, and I cannot get that on my head. I think I want to watch it again, and then just uh, play Phil Collins in the background, <laughs> just like watching <laughs> the, the idea of watching Kirk Douglas and just how can I just let you walk away, <laughs> let you leave without a trace? We just got sued by royalties. <laughs> no, but yeah. yeah, no, I love. No, hey, we, we way, didn't go over ten seconds, but yeah, very good. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to double feature those two because I'm just so tickled by that. I had no idea, and then I'm so glad that you brought that up. Uh, yes, nothing over ten seconds. Very good, Eric Holmes. I might one of my nightmares. Thir- First of all, thirteen-year-old Greg Srisvosti watching Rachel Ward in Against All Odds. Quite the memory. Bruce Perky, you were probably fifteen or sixteen. Did you do you remember Rachel Ward from the eighties? I do remember Rachel Ward for sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. And do you remember Anne Reinking doing her version of Against All Odds at the Oscars? Do you ever remember that? <laughs> I don't remember that. No. <laughs> okay, that was not so memorable. Rest in peace, <laughs> Anne Reinking. But, but okay, so we are done with Against All Odds. Check out the Big Steel if you can. Now we are our next pick. Bruce, can you talk about the our next pick? What's the next pick and why is this movie named, why does it have two monikers? What the heck? <laughs> Night of the Demon slash Curse of the Demon. Uh, Night of the Demon was the UK release. And then it got repackaged for American audiences. And they named it Curse of the Demon. They cut like, I don't know, 15 minutes or something out of it. 12 minutes, something like that. Although they didn't cut any of the major scenes. They just reordered the scene slightly and they cut little pieces out. Yes, Night of the Demon. That's why it has two names. 1957. And it's one of the last Full features by Mr. Turnier. Turnier. Should I give you a little plot synopsis? Yeah. All right. Sounds good. So basic idea is you've got Dana Andrews character, John Holden, and he is flying out to London to be part of a paranormal psychologist conference. And uh, at the beginning of the movie, we see another one of those investigators who meets up with somebody you don't know who this is. uh, And he's quickly killed by what looks like a, I don't know, smoke monster or something so as they arrive john holden finds out about this and now he's kind of taking on the investigation that this guy was going into which is an investigation of a demon worshiping cult the main thing to know about this is john holden is a skeptic he's a very hardcore skeptic he doesn't believe in any of this stuff but he researches it to prove that it isn't real he proves that science is real and he basically meets up with the uh, dead guy's niece who was also on the plane with him by happenstance 
And um, by the way, his niece is Peggy Cummings. Peggy yep. Cummings, a- actress Peggy Cummings, best known for her work in Gun Crazy, directed by Joseph H. Lewis. Yes, I saw that too. And then very quickly, he meets up with Carswell, who is the head of this supposed demon cult. Uh, and then uh, the intrigue goes from there. That's kind of the setup. Yeah, I, I really, lo- I really enjoyed this movie. I really, yeah. I really loved Night of the Demon. 97 minutes didn't, well, I'm glad I didn't see the 82 minute version, but 97 minutes really went by pretty fast. What really intrigued me was the relationship between John Holden and Dr. <laughs> Dr. Julian Cars- Carswell, because he's the antagonist. And I love how, and how sometimes when an antagonist isn't a straight out bad person, meaning they, they seduce the protagonist into their world and they just keep on telling them like, like, like the vanishing. I'm thinking, why am I thinking Jeff Bridges in the vanishing? They're, mm-hmm. they're telling he's telling John Holden, come on, hang out, hang out with me. Come to, come to the house. How you have some tea. You know, I'm, I'm playing magic tricks for the kids. Everything's fine. But you know, you, you bet, you better believe that there, that I, I have these powers with certain demons and all this stuff with the cards. You better believe me. If not, something's bad. Could ha- something bad will happen to you, John Holden. So it's kind of a, a really interesting dance. And Eric, what did you really love? Did you like that relationship between, you know, these two men or what, what are the elements of this movie that you really enjoyed? Well, first of all, the, uh, the first time we see the demon at the beginning, the smoke monster, I, I don't know what you guys thought. That really creeped the hell out of me. I don't know why. Probably because like the, the one shot that they have, I mean, it's just kind of, you can kind of see something in the back in the, uh, in the right. woods and it kind of gets closer and closer and closer. And I'm just like, Ugh. it was just kind of <laughs> giving, giving me chills, even though, I mean, Look, you break it down. Let's fake as hell. I don't yeah. care. It just it, it really creeped me out, and I can't quite understand. I can't quite illustrate why. And Turner um, hated that mo- that special effects moment. Right? Really, he really, he, really he didn't, didn't want it at all. Mm-hmm. He wanted no monster. I, I mean, it worked for me. So, yeah. uh, sorry that I like a thing that you hate that you made. <laughs> How dare you, Eric? Jacques Turner only wanted a lot of wind and a parchment that flies away. That's all he wanted. <laughs> That's you know, all he wanted. <laughs> but, I, I guess, I guess, like story wise, that would make sense though, because like you see the demon right off the bat, so you got the skeptic, and it's like right away we're not with him because, or not, not that we're not with him, but it's like, oh, you're gonna find out, you're gonna find mm-hmm. out that it's real demon. But yeah, I guess if you never show the demon, then it's it becomes a does it exist, doesn't it? But we do know it exists because that's the first one of the first things you see in the movie. So yeah, I, I, I guess you could see that. But uh, yeah, I, I I I like the I like the smoke demon at the beginning. It creeped the shit out of me. I agree with Bruce. Did you like the smoke? Were you fine with the smoke demon? I was fine with it. Yeah, I'm fine with it. But I mean, I love B movies, sci fi stuff, and also I saw this when I was pretty young the first time, so I loved it then. So it has that kind of nostalgia aspect to me as well. But um, I also wanted to mention another little bit of trivia about that. Once they decided they were going to have a monster, they wanted to get Ray Harryhausen to do it, which would have been awesome. But Ray Harryhausen was already working on one of the Sinbad movies, so they couldn't get him. And I was like, damn it. Was that it, would have been really would, cool. Which Sinbad movie was it? Was it Jingle All the Way? Or <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it was Jingle All the Way. <laughs> I got jokes for days. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> But I, I like Excellent. I like the monster just fine because honestly, like when you watch this movie, the monster is just kind of an accent piece. But I think, like you said, to me, the real the real juice of this movie is the Carswell character and their interaction. I love Carswell so much. He's almost like a Bond villain. 
Oh, he's great. Like, he's he's better than a Bond villain because yeah. In in the movie, Carswell's mother, she's consistently trying to <laughs> upend him, and he loves his mom so much that he's not. He doesn't. You know, he's he just treats her as an annoyance. But she's literally I mean, trying to just throw the rug from out from under him through whole the whole movie. Right? The scene. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. And the scene where uh, to me, okay, I don't know what you guys think, but the scene where he's doing magic at a kid's party, mm-hmm. and then afterwards. The, the mom comes up and gets ice cream, <laughs> gets ice cream and takes um, uh, uh, Peggy Cummings off. And then he's just talking to Carswell. Carswell and, and John are just talking together. And Carswell is so great. He has one of the best lines. I love it so much where he comes up and he, these kids are playing um, snakes and ladders. And he's like, he's like, yes, yeah, snakes and ladders. He says something to the effect of like, I always liked falling down, you know, the snake more than going up the ladders. And then, <laughs> and then what is it? Dana Andrews character says something like, oh, so you like to lose? He goes, oh no, not at all. <laughs> you know, like, that's so awesome. Regarding that scene that you're mentioning where he, where his character, Dr. Julian Carswell, he's throwing a party for kids, showing the magic tricks Meanwhile, Peggy Cummings, who plays Joanna Harrington and Dana Andrews, John Holden, they're trying to actually uncover this conspiracy and find and get to the bottom of Carswell's evil doings or misdoings or whatever. That party is interesting because ultimately there's a win situation that Carswell does. And it's not too much of a spoiler, but it gets really windy in, in this party. And, and Turner said he really was proud of that scene because if you actually, he goes, what we did was you could actually see through the windows. We painted all of the furniture white. So all of, I think it was there, a lot of it was wood furniture and they just painted it white. And the reason why he wanted to paint it white was so you could actually literally see on screen all of those objects moving from one place to the other. Oh yeah. So, so he was, yeah. You know, that's a DIY really cool move that he did. So yeah. 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 It's so, yeah. uh, <laughs> pretty clever for sure. Yeah. Very clever. So I, I really enjoyed this movie. I also, there's a really, as, as a big De Palma fan, there's De Palma loves packing up, uh, packing a lot of action sequences towards the, towards the ending of a lot of his movies and Turner in this, in this movie, actually even more than out of the past, it's a really climactic third act which i thought was really cool and yeah i i I, did, I didn't i didn't find it scary one bit though did you guys find it scary or did you find it a little bit creepy or or what uh, which is the 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 opening scene for sure yes <laughs> after that not so much but the yeah that that where you first see the demon was really creepy to me and i can't quite but yeah the rest of it was you know whatever i i not not the this on the movie but it takes a lot to creep me out well, yeah. apparently not, because the opening seemed pretty simple. <laughs> that creeped me out, but but for the most part, uh, horror. I, I've seen enough horror movies. I know how the sausage is made, so they don't normally scare me. But that opening scene did. I think personally, what I really also enjoyed about this, Bruce, is the fact that John Holden is played by Dana Andrews. He's the hero of the movie. He's also the guy who's trying to debunk things, science over any over everything, and it's a little bit subversive because. It, I'm sure some moviegoers, movie watchers are actually pulling for John Holden to actually become, to die at the hands of the smoke monster. Do you think that's one of the really cool subversive parts of Night of the Demon? Where actually, some people might be rooting for a lot of bad things to happen. So Yeah, I, I think you're t- totally right about that. I, it, once again, it, it ultimately, I don't think it's a scary movie either. I think it's all about this interplay between an overtly evil dude with and, and the other thing is they have a time stamp on it. So there's a time that stuff's supposed to happen. And you know, overtly evil dude and an overt 
skeptic. And in some ways to me that it makes it really comparable to movies like the original um, Wicker Man or something where you've got this devout Christian going to this pagan Island. So it's, it's a kind of, those are all really unusual movies in that kind of genre. And especially in that time period, it doesn't quite fit in if you think about it with like a lot of the other horror at the time, which was things like um, hammer, you know, you know, remakes of Dracula or, or Gothic Edgar Allan Poe stuff. This is much more um, interesting, I think, in some ways. Yeah. So Night of the D. De- yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I was surprised. A lot of people say Turner's film, Turner's work in the latter part of his career before he, Turner ultimately went retired. And after making a bunch of movies, he, he started doing television like the Barbara Stanwyck show. He directed 11 out of the 37 episodes. Barbara Stanwyck is a clo- was supposedly a close, per- close personal friend of his. He made his money doing a lot of TV toward, towards the latter part of his life. But he was very, very honest about his movies. And he said, I really, he just really disliked doing television. He thought it was just, you had to answer to too many people. He did not really enjoy that experience whatsoever. But as I'm looking at IMDb, he helmed an episode of The Twilight Zone a general electric theater. So he, he had a really solid career. He did an episode of Bonanza. He's actually, one of his last movies was this movie called The Giant of Marathon in 1959, a movie which I think it was a sword and sandal epic, I think. And he actually, you're gonna, you guys would be surprised by The Giant of Marathon. 1959, and the plot line is a Greek soldier leads the fight against an invading Persian army. Sounds fun. Here it is. Directors, Jacques Tourneur, this guy named Bruno Vailati, and there's another director who is uncredited, and his name is Mario Bava, and it's called The Giant <laughs> of Marathon, 1959. As we're recording this, it's currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video. W- watch once I once we put it put this up, it'll be gone from Prime Video as <laughs> due to the femme fatale situation. Speaking of which, that happened to Bruce Berkey several months ago. But you know, regarding The Giant of Marathon, Jacques Turner said, "I got paid a lot of money to do this movie." really did not like that experience whatsoever because you're actually they spent too much time building the sets and waiting and he said when when you're when you're a director on a, when you're when a film set has to wait you lose your enthusiasm and you lose your confidence so just a little kind of thing kind of yeah Bruce and that's the thing I think you see in these movies we, we kind of been talking about how we like them or what we do like about them but these are all pretty low budget movies and he really gets the most out of these budgets and these actors and he really you know he really maximizes I think what he's got there so before we get yeah he does definitely maximizes maybe that's something that he learned a lot during his RKO era with Val Luton speaking of which Eric Holmes did some double extra credit work by also devouring Jacques Tourneur's Cat People. He actually has recently seen it. And Eric Holmes, there's a, a couple of camps regarding Cat People. There's people who say it's a masterpiece. Some people say it's overrated. Jacques Tourneur actually thought, didn't think too highly of Cat People, even though it made a ton of money. He didn't really consider it one of his better films, which was interesting. He loved his collaboration with Luton, but he didn't really find it to be anything that special story-wise. What did you think of Cat People? I, I liked it and not, it wasn't, like, like I said, I was expecting like a, because I thought I saw it, I, I was expecting like a Island of Dr. Moreau type movie. And this is a film noir pretty much with a, a little bit of a, little bit of horror sting thrown in there. I don't know. It, it, it was a pretty good movie. Played a lot with the, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of uh, sexism, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. it, 
played a little bit with that. It's kind of one of those uh, horror movies similar to Night of the Living Dead, where the uh, I, I think the horror elements are a placeholder for something else. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure what, but it, it, it feels like the horror elements aren't what what's on the surface. There, there's something there's something beneath that, whether intentional or not. I guess if Jacques Tourneur didn't like it, I'm guessing there probably isn't anything deeper than that, but I'm I'm seeing something deeper than that. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know that I call it a masterpiece, but it's really good, and uh, I want to watch the remake, the uh, uh, d- um, Cat People by Paul Schrader and Nastasia, Paul Schrader, they, and Nastasia Kinski. Yeah, Nastasia yeah. Kinski. I think it was released 1982. Did you find this movie to be even more beautifully photographed than Out of the Past? Because from what little clips I saw, Bruce, can you add on add to this? It looks like such a beautiful black and white film. It was at the it is it is really beautiful. I would say to the difference to me is that Out of the Past is a complete, assured, perfect movie. You know what I mean? Whereas this movie has parts that are really great. To me, this seems like a younger director's movie where there are certain sequences that are just amazing. And then other sequences that are, are fine, but they're not like, they're not going to blow you away necessarily. They're just part of the story. Whereas I think there's a lot more overall in out of the past, but this movie has a few sequences that are amazing. And Eric will probably back me up on this one. I think that one of the most famous sequences in this movie is where the uh, Irina, which is the cat woman, I guess <laughs> the Simone, is it Simone? Simone, I think it is. Yeah, Simone. Um, Simone, Simone, Simone Simon, I think. Simon Simone or whatever. Simon. Yeah. But she is kind of becoming jealous of the Girl Friday character. And the Girl Friday character is walking home in the dark. And she's going from darkness to light, light pool from a light post, you know, to darkness to light pool to darkness to light pool. And you're watching her. It's kind of a tracking shot from the side. And then you're, you're hearing and kind of watching the arena character follow her and you're hearing the click, 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 click. And that is just classic, wow. classic noir. And it's great sound design too. And it leads to what as most people consider the first jump scare in film or is credited as the first jump scare in film. Oh, very cool. So yeah. I, don't remember, I don't know if Eric remembers that as well, but one of the great things about that, because of course they didn't have any budget to do a lot of actual monster stuff. So to do the transformation, this isn't a spoiler or anything, but there's this great thing where you hear clicking heel, clicking heel, clicking heel as she's following her. And then all of a sudden from one of the light pools to the other light pool, the clicking stops because obviously she's transformed into a panther. So you're just, you're hearing nothing at that point. And that little touch, that's where this movie is singing when it does stuff like that. So, okay. So that is cat people. Released in 1942. We're not going to do a spoiler because I selfishly have not seen the movie and I do not want to know what the freaking ending is. Yeah, so that is Cat People. And where did you see this, Eric Holmes? Did you buy it on YouTube? Did you rent it on YouTube? Is that how you did? Bought it on YouTube. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you are supporting. I'm sure that. I could have saw it free somewhere, but I just bought it on YouTube. That is very cool. Rich man Eric Holmes throwing down his <laughs> his ducats to YouTube. <laughs> hey, 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 here's the thing. The Jacques Tourneur guy, he's he's an indie filmmaker, and I'm sure it took a lot of time and money to make cat people. I wanted. Oh, you wanted Eric? Oh, I thought it was me that froze. So it's not yeah, no, me no, that froze. No, 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 Eric. No, he'll come back. <laughs> okay, I'll throw some trivia in here real quick while okay, we're waiting. Yes. Cat yeah. people trivia. The only thing about it is there's a, a place in there where she lives in this big kind of apartment, or not apartment, but this kind of mansion. They reused a magnificent Amberson set because there it didn't oh. have very much money. So if you look a at very... the magnificent Amberson staircase, you will see that in Cat People. Great piece of trivia. Eric Holmes, you were saying before you got unceremoniously booted off. Oh, I forgot. But I'm sure it was 
Here it comes. Hey, folks, it's a Saturday, and we're trying we're trying to get deep with Jacques Turner. You know, yeah. So, Cap, yeah, you you were th- you were talking about YouTube. You rented it on YouTube, and yeah, Cat people, I'm definitely gonna check it out. I it, I think they had a Turner ret- retrospective months ago on the Criterion Channel. I can't wait to actually see Cat People. It's only 73 okay. minutes. Eric Holmes, you're going to say. I, I, I would say that uh, they, I know they already remade this movie, but I think it, I, and, and I'd have to watch the, the remake version. But I, th- I think this could probably be remade again. Like, okay. like there's a there's a version of this, like with, with what uh, Lee Winnell did with Invisible Man, where he took the idea and kind of updated it and added added some more kind of social commentary to it. You could you could do some stuff with this movie, like update it and and add kind of uh, I don't know what, but you, know, like you, you could you could. It's one of those stories that kind of uh, lends itself to more. Uh, than just the story that it's telling. And I, th- I think a remake of this would be really good with someone with the idea, maybe. The 80s remake is pretty good, too. I think I think it's not bad. It's um, And it's definitely different. So it's different enough that I think you can enjoy it. And it, now it has some more nostalgia effects as well. Plus, if you like The Inglorious Bastards, the David Bowie song, putting out fire with gasoline, that comes from Cat People. So there you go. The oh, remake. Cool. Do you agree with Eric that it could actually be remade, remade as far as for today yeah. as well? I okay. think this, this is one of those movies like The Thing or certain movies that have, or even Dracula. I mean, that's why I think this works and could work as remakes because like Eric is saying, there's thematic elements of like repression, sexuality, or whatever it is that can be used as a metaphor for different ages in different ways and still be the same kind of basic structure. So I don't appreciate Bruce Perky looking me dead in the eye when he talked about repression and sexuality. We're moving on, moving on. Val Luton, <laughs> Val Luton. Okay. Val Luton and Jacques Turner, three films under Ar- the RKO banner, Cat People, I Walk With a Zombie, The Leopard Man, Bruce Perky. You've been a lifelong fan of horrors and thrillers and the hybrid, the combination of both. Do you see, have you seen the, the other two, I Walked With a Zombie, The Leopard Man, or just give us an overview of regarding the work of Luton and Turner. Do you think it's, why does it stand out as far as cinema goes? I think just because that kind of aesthetic, it, it was early when, it was really, I think the first times that you're seeing horror and noir kind of push together into kind of a hybrid subgenre. Whereas, I mean, you had gothic, awesome, universal monster stuff, but nothing quite like this. And he was also doing subject matter that was kind of odd. Uh, Leopard Man, I haven't seen, so I can't quite vouch for that one. But with I Walked With a Zombie, I mean, here dealing with like um, Haitian voodoo and this really moody stuff. And there's some visuals in there that are absolutely amazing. I don't know if some of the stuff ages so well. It's been probably 25, 30 years since I've seen it. So there, there may be some obvious racial stuff in there that's probably not so great anymore. But if you can put that aside and look at some of the visuals, I think there's probably still a lot to be had there. And I might be wrong. I haven't seen it. So, I mean, I can't vouch exactly for the story there. So. Yeah, Val Jack Turner discussed his collaboration with um, with Val Luton. It lasted those three films. It's considered, you know, Martin Scorsese did a special segment on the the, the importance of their work together. And Turner said, "What worked about the relationship was Val Luton was the producer who always had his head in the clouds. He was coming up with these highfalutin ideas, these romantic poetic ideas, and maybe that translated into their, their collaboration. While Turner considered himself more of a pragmatist." And I forget, forgot who said this about Turner, but 
Oh, yes, that's it. Author Richard Matheson, who Eric Holmes knows very well. Author Richard Matheson described Jacques Tourneur as one of the most organized directors he's ever met. So he's, so Tourneur with, with all these really interesting, fantastical movies we're talking about right now for the spotlight at the heart of Tourneur was a, was a pragmatist who would, because he did, it wasn't armed unless you're counting the giant of marathon, which he disavowed, but most of his work were pretty much even within the studio system, they were not huge budgeted movies. So he had to work within the system and within that milieu, within that, within that umbrella, he was very, very organized. And I know one thing, I can't tell the future, but I can tell this part of the future. In the coming weeks, well, maybe months, well, I'm, I'm knowing the person, maybe even in the coming days, Eric Holmes will watch the Jack Turner film, 1943 film, The Leopard Man, because it is, quote, about, I'm reading from IMDb, Plotline, a seemingly tame leopard used for a publicity stunt escapes and kills a young girl, spreading panic throughout a sleepy New Mexico town. Stars Dennis O'Keefe, Margot, Gene Brooks. Don't know these actors very well. Again, directed by Turner. Here's the reason why, why Eric Holmes will watch this movie. The movie is out right now, available, I believe, on Warner Archive Collection. Shout Factory has a special edition as well, I think on Blu-ray, available, but commentary feature on The Leopard Man, which I believe is only 73 minutes as well. Very quick film. William Friedkin does audio commentary for The Leopard Man. And this goes back to what Eric Holmes was saying. He said, Eric Holmes was talking about how he got a lot of subtext from cat people, even though, even if Turner doesn't admit it. And I think what Friedkin was talking about, he mentioned The Leopard Man is saying, a, a lot of people think it's just this cheap little B movie, but he saw a lot of things in it that who knows, maybe Turner does not want to admit that he put in there. So Friedkin, what Friedkin and Eric Holmes, Eric Holmes, I'm sure you're going to see the leopard man just based, just because you want to listen to Friedkin speak. Right. So. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I should also mention, cause I don't think we've mentioned it before. I'm, I'm not frozen. Am I? No, am no, I frozen? I, I, I'm frozen. As okay, you cool. Know. You're good. I, I'm frozen spiritually <laughs> I, and emotionally. As you guys were talking, you like frozen and, and I didn't. Oh. So I'm like, I think I'm the one. No. But anyway, <laughs> no, um, there, Bruce is frozen. Look, see? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but one thing I don't think we mentioned about Jacques Turner's movie is movies is that they are really lean. Like that. I don't. I could be wrong. I don't think they go over an hour and a half and they're what usually like hour, 10 minutes, hour, 20 minutes. And uh, uh, it's almost like uh, when he makes a movie, it's like, let's just get to the point. Let's, you know, tell um, like, I, I, I'm guessing that if you cut out any part of his movies, then you would be, they wouldn't work because they're, you know, all the fat is trimmed. At least on the ones yes, that I've seen. You're right. Yes. The fat is trimmed. You're right, Eric Holmes. The Comedy of Terrors, released in 1963. It's 84 minutes. I was actually wondering if Bruce Perky actually, did you recommend this earlier in the year or no? I Because first of all, The Comedy of Terrors, it stars Vincent Price. It stars Peter Lorre. I think a couple of months after this movie was released, he passed away, I think. And it stars Boris Karloff. How is this not a Bruce yeah. Perky find your film recommendation? Oh, you know, I've Bruce- seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> and you oh you've oh you remember it oh you've seen it yeah it's not mm, no ah no. is that what you said you said you said eh you said eh yeah. 
Yeah. I, okay, well, here's the thing. It's the writer in it is Richard Matheson, who Eric Holmes has talked about before in, on the podcast. He's, you know, Matheson, he and he of the right, he, the writer of I Am Legend, right? Eric Holmes. So yes, book, not any of the movies, the book, the book. <laughs> the book so you like, not- like, you're right. Just like you like, you, you, wait, who do you like? You like Harlan Ellison, if I recall, and you really like the works of Richard Matheson. Yeah. Would, and Dean if, Koontz. Dean Koontz if, is all right, too. And, and Dean Koontz, yeah, yes, and Dean Koontz. And if I told you this is based on an original screenplay by Richard Matheson, it stars Vincent Price, Peter Lorre, Boris Karloff, and it's directed by Jacques Turner, would you watch The Comedy of Terrors, now streaming on Prime Video? I, I would. And actually, it, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I thought of doing, uh, we do the director spotlights, but I was like, you know, Richard Matheson isn't a director, but there's a bunch of movies based on his uh, his books and other screenplays. It, it, it'd be may, maybe one of these days in the future, I'll I'll throw out a Richard Matheson spotlight. Not, I swear to God, there are no children dying; they're just screaming in the background. <laughs> and I'll let you guys talk. Listeners, cat don't people, worry, cat people. Ah. Listeners, don't worry. Bruce Perky is calling a number right now. There will be help very, very soon. <laughs> over in Sea Springs. Everything will be fine. Eric Holmes. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say Eric Holmes. Eric Holmes, are you there? Did you not hear Bruce Perky's? I asked you if you're going to see Comedy of Terrors and you said yes. Did you not hear Bruce Perky's eh warning about the Comedy of Terrors? He went eh. I, I, I don't care. It's oh, you don't care? Matheson. You don't care? It, 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 he, even, me. Even if it sucks, it's like, I, I, I have to. I just have to. So, <laughs> okay. like, I, I hated all the I Am Legend uh, adaptations, uh, like, uh, you know, to various degrees. But, uh, you know, you still, still got to watch them. Because well, I'm gonna... the original stories are great. So it, it's always fun to at least see, you know, how, how they weigh against originals. And yeah, Matheson was so nice to Turner regarding about how him being being a, just a great organized director. And you know what? I don't know if I can really fully forgive forgive Bruce Perky for the for our differences in the Painted Bird and Fat Man. But I'm gonna tell you, I tried to sneak in and steal the show by watching the Comedy of Terrors 1963, which we just talked about. It's currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Bruce Perky is 100% right. This got 6.7 out of 10. Got some really good reviews on IMDb. I was 35 minutes into it. It was a total slog with all of the great actors in it and it's written by Richard Matheson my goodness this movie is close to a bomb I cannot yeah. I thought I unearthed a, another Turner gem and I was going to steal this friggin director spotlight from Bruce Perky nope I should have listened to Bruce always listen to Bruce Eric thank you finally you're getting the point of this whole podcast <laughs> you, you thought you unearthed a Turner gem but instead you unearthed a Turner Third. He unearthed a tenant. He unearthed a tenant. <laughs> this is our tenant and Turner are a turd. That is our director spotlight. We're finished, folks. Just kidding. We're that Yes, Bruce, I should have listened to you. Make sure next time, make sure warn us when we're doing these director spotlight. Next, if you could turn back time. Yeah, read say, your mind. Okay, I'll read your mind next time. And I will send you telepathically. <laughs> Okay, our final final pick. And again, I apologize for this pick because I shoehorned this into Bruce's episode. I forced Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky to watch Nightfall. This is a movie that I don't think is a turd. I thought it was a total gem when I saw it a year and a half ago. Released in 1956, it's categorized as a crime drama film noir on IMDb. And the plot line centers on an artist played by Aldo Ray. Okay, it starts off with Aldo Ray living. His, he plays this guy named James James Vanning, and he's an artist living in the Hollywood 
in Hollywood, okay? And he stumbles up upon this beautiful model named Mary Gardner, played by Anne Bancroft. Anne Bancroft, okay? He stumbles onto her in a bar. They have a nice conversation, really pitter-patter, banter, back and forth. You think it's going to be a normal, nice evening out on a date, but realize what happens is man meets woman, but man, played by Aldo Ray, is caught up in a, in a big kind of criminal enterprise. He finds himself, quote, falsely accused of bank robbery and murder and is pursued by the authorities and the real killers. Yes, he's pursued by the real killers, but he's, this, that summary is wrong. He's not per- pursued by the authorities. He's actually pursued by an insurance man named Ben Frazier, who is played by James Gregory. That is the premise of this very, I think Eric Holmes is talking about lean narratives of Turner. This is the leanest out of all three we're covering, this being Nightfall. Bruce Perky, I foisted this on you. It, by the way, this movie is based on a novel by David Goodis. It's screenplay by Sterling Siliphant. We'll have more to say about that, those guys in a second. But Bruce, what was your overall thoughts of Nightfall? Was it the gem that I was telling you it, it was? Yes, absolutely. This is, as opposed to Out of the Past, which is kind of this big, awesome meal of noir, this is a very lean, little more streamlined focused, a little more action-y, but super fun. And Alda Ray is great, but I would say that Brian Keith and Rudy, is it Rudy Bond as Red and John uh, steal this movie almost because as the two thugs in this movie, they are fan-fucking-tastic. And if you know Brian Keith like I did from Family Affair, which was that (laughs) kind of family-friendly late late 60s, early 70s like comedy, uh, I was surprised to see him as this thug, and he was amazing in this. Yeah, I I love this. I remember him from Hardcastle and McCormick back in the 80s as well. (laughs) And yeah, they pretty much steal the movie. Eric Holmes, what did you think of this of Nightfall? So between this and Out of the Pass, I can't quite decide which one's my favorite i think i lean more towards this wow, and i forget nice. the name of the the uh what, what's the ida lupino uh movie i forget the name of it the one with the two guys in the uh uh hostage the guy Wait, holding the oh, two the guys hitch, hostage hitchhiker the hitchhiker. And, and, hitchhiker. Yeah. Yeah. hitchhiker this movie reminds me a lot of the hitchhiker it, probably just because of the uh you know the the guys they're following them and i i completely co-signed on bruce the uh the two the two bad guys, especially Red. Is it Red? The, <laughs> Red, the, yeah. <laughs> the guy that's just always fucking around. <laughs> uh he he's he's fantastic in this. And uh yeah, they play off each other really well. That Nightfall, yeah, that this movie's great. It, and it's that it, it's weird. It, it 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 has a it kind of has an epic feel, like even though it's short and it's lean, it has an epic feel. So it, it's one of those rare instances where it feels like a movie that's like four hours long, but not like a slog four hours. Like it feels like I've I've lived in this world for. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I, totally I, I, agree. I don't know if I'm going to explain it right, but it like normally if a movie feels long and it's short, that's a bad thing. This is a good thing because it, if I feel like I've lived in this world for a good amount of time and. Yeah, this is just fantastic, and the, and the way they keep doing the flashbacks and showing like, uh, you know, it, it's it kind of has a mystery element to it, to where they're kind of unfolding the story and just yes. everything about everything. Now, you, you want to talk about Cat People being a masterpiece? Probably not. This, I think, this might be a masterpiece. That this is, 
Yeah, definitely one of my favorites. Yeah. Between between this and out of the past, I kind of actually edge in a little more towards this. And especially now, I'm not going to get into the end, but the uh, whole end scene. Um, oh, we'll, we'll the, get to uh, we'll, we'll get we're yeah. going to get to that. We're going to get that's amazing. Can that be what who should shoot, shoot that ending scene? Coen Brothers, Bruce, what do you see? Or what, or what do you see? What kind of actor? What kind of filmmaker right now? Could they could could do that sequence yeah i could say coen brothers could do this movie actually coen brothers could do this movie straight up i think straight up i mean it would be different but they could do it and and pull it off and i want to mention we're not going to mention spoilers at this point but i just want to say the scene that involves the campsite is also amazing (sighs) and the effectiveness of a piece of wood and an oil well I <laughs> yes yes so so many great locations like basically several really awesome locations and I want to throw this out to you guys first of all again it's based on a novel by David Goodis I haven't read any of any of David David Goodis's stuff because I'm I'm basically illiterate I don't read but Goodis is considered a great noir writer and he's he's revered in France okay so when something like jazz is revered in france a lot of a lot of great american treasures it's basically more revered in france a lot of times and david goodis is considered a a hero in france as far as his writing goes and this movie is also the one who adapted it is sterling siliphant and it goes to your point eric holmes eric holmes before off air was telling us we need to for the our find your scene site.com site which we're working on to to archive our podcast and more importantly archive a lot of these filmmakers and movies for you guys to actually read through and live in he wants to have a little bit more of of a screenwriter presence as far as linking these movies that we're talking about to maybe a, a link or a page where you you guys can actually find the screenplays. But speaking of scriptwriters, Sterling Siliphant, the writer, the screenwriter behind Nightfall, he is one of cinema's top screenwriters. He won an Oscar for In the Heat of the Night. And I'm just going to write, I'm going to just read a couple of his, a couple of his movies that he penned the screenplay to. Okay. He did The Killer Elite, okay, directed by Sam Peckinpah. He did Telephone starring Charles, <laughs> Charles Bronson. Uh, Charles Bronson, right. Thank you. Thank you. He also did the Poseidon Adventure, right? The New Centurions. Okay, Murphy's War. Murphy's War. So a lot of really Charlie. Charlie. So mm-hmm. he did a lot of great movies. And throwing this out to you guys, do you think Bruce a big part of this Nightfall success? Even though it's 78 minutes, he also did. I was gonna Eric Holmes has just left the building for a second, listeners, but he's going to come back. I, I'm going to throw him with it. Another movie that Sterling did was the 1987 film Over the Top, starring Sylvester Stallone. But Bruce, do you, do you, do you think a part of the magic behind Nightfall is the fact that it's really well-written, you think, for being noir? Yeah. And once again, like for noir, I think this is, to me, as a kind of a noir you know, newbie, this seems a little more action almost crime thriller than yeah. you know what I mean? Like it has a little more of a thriller edge to it than straight up noir, even though it has a noir aspects to it. I feel like noir does has a lot more like mystery and kind of this, you know, hard boiled crime kind of thing going on, but, and, you know, femme fatale and all that stuff. Whereas this one's really straight up thriller, crime thriller, I think, but yes, the, the script is solid and the script definitely is great, but I, I still think that the, the, acting the yes. acting of these characters really 100%. kind of take gives it that special sauce yeah you're right james gregory as ben frazier he is an incidental character he's an insurance agent most 9.5 out of 10 movies this insurance agent will be dead weight 
for the narrative. He'll be the empty calories <laughs> to, to boost up the minutes. But when James Gregory is alone by, by himself, just talking and and trying to track down, his 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 moments sing. He has yeah. his own movie. He's good. I mean, he's a bit of a deus ex machina, but you know, we, we'll, <laughs> we'll go with it. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eric, you were going to say something about, uh, we were talking about the, the writing being very strong for Nightfall. So, oh no, is it? Yep, yep, it's a good movie. <laughs> it's good. yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Can I can I add one little trivia piece to this before yes. we finish it up? Yeah. Who did I say if they ever remade this should play the Aldo Ray character? Wow, the, who plays the James Vanny character, the Aldo Ray character? It's so it's such an indelible performance. Who, by Aldo what Ray. new actor, newish actor? As I say, in his prime would have been great as Ald, instead of Aldo Ray. I, I I remember you mentioning this, and you're absolutely right. I said who? Say it or go say it. Say it. Uh, Bruce Willis. And do you know who Tarantino stated that his influence for the Butch character for Pulp Fiction was this movie? That t- totally makes sense. Really? And, and uh, yes. the uh, the character Brad Pitt's character in uh, in Inglorious Bastards, Aldo Rain, is named after aldo ray i didn't know he that rap. it doesn't look yeah. well, oh, oh okay oh because he he loved tarantino loved aldo ray okay yeah. done done yeah he's so, so that good totally makes sense and i didn't know that when i said it i was just like because i mean physically and his persona in this aldo ray in this movie he seems like a you know prime level bruce willis kind of a guy you know yeah great great trivia stuff and also to your point eric regarding as much as as much as out of the out of the past is a perfect film that's such an obvious recommendation. Eric Holmes has just left us. He's got to sign back on. He should be fine. <laughs> he'll, he'll be back on in a second. But as much as it's a perfect film, I would honestly, I would say, yeah, Out of the Past is a perfect noir film, but I would really recommend Nightfall. I mean, I personally, yeah. my taste, Out of the Past is a better movie. But for me, my personal taste tends to Nightfall. Bruce, and, for your, what is yours out of the three? Um, See, I'm kind of with Eric on this one. And I think he should feel okay. Like going back and forth between the two, because I, I feel like they're a little bit different animals. So I think you can like them both in their own worlds. Cause I think they're different. We talk about have movies being kinds of meals. Nightfall is like great. It's just like energetic and just kicks you in the teeth kind of a movie. Whereas I feel like out of the past is much more of a full luxurious uh, noir <laughs> sitting all in once. So I, I like them both. I think just about equally. Eric Holmes is not going to join us for this final segment regarding our f- conclusions re- with Jacques Turner, because he has a lot things going on in the background with the kids, not his kids. <laughs> I think they're his nieces and nephews, but we're going to sum up Jacques Turner right now with the director's spotlight. Oh, Eric Holmes is back. He's back. Let me admit him. Yay. Let's see. He's joining. He's joining. The, Eric Holmes has joined the chat. Are you joining the chat? So Bruce, right off the top, I really love this spotlight regarding Jacques Turner. I think one of the things, just from these three films, I'm not going to even talk about that Tales of the Terror or whatever that terror comedy of terror thing, but I'm going to leave that out of the equation. But these three movies, what stood out for me was Jacques Turner is pretty much a chameleon. He can do a lot of things, but there's always going to be an expressionistic, moody, atmospheric, side to him we haven't even covered his westerns i can't wait to see yes. what some of his westerns are by the way little turner thing before we get get to you and eric is do you know what his favorite film of all of his from his body of work is 
Do any of you guys know that? Um, stars in my crown, I'm going to guess. <laughs> yes, very good researching. The Stars in My Crown is was released in 1951, Stars in My Crown. For for that movie, it's a it's a western starring Joe McRae. Jacques Tourneur actually lessened his director's asking fee. And he made it for the minimum because he loved the story so much. And I was reading on Wikipedia, it says his ever, ever since stars in my crown, his directing career was never the same because probably, I don't know. I don't know because he asked for such a low amount of money, but you know what? After that, he had a full close to how many, yeah, he had a, he had a 15 year career after that. And he's, and what he's made such really interesting things. What, what really he made, he made nightfall and night of a demon within a year of each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he was still, he was still vital. He was still very vital. I found him to be more of a chameleon than anything else. And I thought that was very interesting. I usually prefer directors where I like De Palma, where you just, or John Frankenheimer or Lumet, you really just know their stamp, but I really love how sometimes he let the material sort of speak for itself and then just make sure he could craft correctly. What really stood out for you about Turner, Eric Holmes? To just kind of what you said, the uh, chameleon aspect of, you know, going into his movies, I never quite know what to expect. Uh, it could be, and and the style that he chooses usually matches with the uh, story, and so that that's always good. And mixing things up, and sorry, my <laughs> I just get a little frustrated. The uh, the if the kids aren't screaming, then my internet craps out. But uh, that's very uh, dude. I don't mind as long as you see. As long as you see that leopard movie, the leopard man, go see the leopard man and see what yeah. tell us. Report back to see what uh, so we can do another William Freakin segment for Find Your Film. Bruce Perky, your final thoughts. You're going to close out this director spotlight. Just give us our the, the lowdown on um, your thoughts. I was just really happy to kind of blindly pick somebody that I knew I liked some of their stuff, but I had no clue on the rest of their stuff. And uh, this is kind of what I love most about what we're doing, either on the weekly podcast or on the director spotlight is that nine times out of 10, you guys will mention something that I've never heard of. And I'll find it and go like, wow, I never heard of that my whole life. And I loved it now. And this, this was kind of like one of those experiences for me. Like I didn't go in knowing I love everything about what he does, but I found a couple great movies that I never, maybe never would have seen in my life if we hadn't done this. So, and I just think he's a, he's kind of a great director that kind of gets probably put in the middle ground for his period time period and um, should be a household name because he made a ton of really great movies. So yeah, guess what? He did more than cat people and out of the past who knew, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Unbelievable. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff. A lot of Jack Turner stuff is out available, especially for streaming. I can't wait to actually start buying up, some of his past DVDs on Warner Archive Shout Factory. I'm just going to, I'll probably just get Leopard Man myself right on, on Shout Factory just to hear Friedkin's commentary. And, you know, before we go, Eric Holmes, you were t- telling us on Messenger some thoughts about the next, you're going to be the next pick in a couple of weeks. You want me and Bruce to start studying up maybe? I'm sure Bruce has seen a lot of this stuff. Who's going to be, who's going to be your choice? Because it's your turn for the next one. Well, so take a look at me now. Oh, there's just an empty space. That's 7.9 Sorry, seconds. You just made out. it. You just made it. You just made it, Eric. <laughs> I had to get that out. Yes, next we are doing uh, Ralph Bakshi. A lot of people probably know him uh, as an uh, animator, uh, Fritz the Cat, Cool World. But we are going to talk specifically about uh, Coonskin and Wizards. And okay. uh, there's also... A, 
And then there's a short, uh, um, maybe this will be a bonus. If we can get to it, great. If not, it's not a big deal. But he's got a short, was the last thing he came out with called The Last Days of Coney Island. It's, uh, it's, he has an interesting style. We'll, we'll just kind of leave it at that. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking, I'm very much looking forward to talking about Ralph Bakshi. Eric Holmes, we're not gonna we're not gonna leave it at that. Why 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 did you pick him? Just very quickly, just a tease. What? Just uh, he, he's got he's he has a very uh, interesting style, and he kind of uh, much like a Jack Turner. He kind of leans into a style that kind of works for what it is he wants to say. Like Coonskin is a very different uh, film than uh, Cool World, for example, which is a very different movie than his Lord of the Rings animated movies and he just i i just like him as an animator and as a storyteller and sometimes uh you know he just has a very interesting way of uh getting messages across and, and you've they liked don't him. always work for everyone right. but they're definitely interesting for sure and this is not like bruce where bruce has seen some of turner's work but decided to pick turner this you've been a bakshi guy for years or just yeah. okay yeah, cool. I, I haven't seen everything he's done, but I'm I've seen enough of things he's done, and definitely a fan. And yeah, th- this is not a this is not a blind pick for sure. Okay, well, Coonskin and Wizards, and yeah, can I just call it Seaskin from for, for uh, in the future? Because Bruce, what are you gonna call? You, you, you know what? You know what? That's Bruce? probably a good idea. Seaskin is Bruce probably is a good idea. How come Bruce is suddenly quiet? No, no, no. There's there are people. No, it's the name of the movie. So, what? I mean, raccoon it's, skin. Raccoon skin. Is okay, fine. Right, okay. Ra- so we're gonna be covering raccoon skin and wizards in a couple of weeks for Rapachi. Until then, oh yeah, very quickly, I wanted to say something. We're I've been saying this for the last couple months. This is, I'm going to put Jack Turner, the director spotlight on our findyourscene.com site. We are doing a lot of, we're going to start doing a lot of archival stuff on the website right now, specifically for the content. If you want to hear our thoughts on the endings of Nightfall out of the past. And what's the other movie out of the past Nightfall and Night of the Demon. Demon, Check out our, check us out on findyourscene.com. We will have SoundCloud audio, audio on the site where we're going to talk about the endings of each three movies. We're going to start doing that because on movies that we we are passionate about and you're going to hear a lot of spoiler-rific material on findyourscene.com along with a lot of really cool movie updates and movie archival information on on hopefully cinematic gems. Like, right, right. So I'm, I'm excited. Are you guys excited about this? Uh, we're going to be three archivists. Are you, are you excited? Are you guys, are you guys ready for the big project? The big project? Yes. 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 I cannot wait to arc all the Ives. <laughs> we're going to arc the Ives. Okay. That's... Arc the Ives, the Kings. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> we, we, you know what? We, Eric, we should just be, we should be our own. Cause I know Eric Holmes is a big fan of Marvel, right? Marvel, Marvel movies and DC movies. Did I get my, I'm the number one fan of all, all those movies. I cannot wait to arc the Ives of all the Marvel movies. <laughs> because Eric Holmes sarcastically is such a huge hundred percent fan of Marvel and DC. We're, we're going to be a trio. We're going to be now called, we're a superhero group. Bruce, are we going to be Marvel or DC brand? Or are we going to be our own indie comic brand? What do you got? It? We got it. Who, are, who are we going to be an indie brand or, or Marvel or DC? What are we going to be? EC. I, we're going to be EC comics brand. Oh, I like that. EC comics. The, our superhero name, our team group name. We're going to be called the Arc Ivers dash. Like the hitchhikers. <laughs> the Arc Ivers. 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 Arc Ivers. All right. Till then, check us out on findyourscene.com. 
uh, so we and you can hear our spoilerific stuff on these three movies. But more importantly, watch more films of Jacques Tourneur. Bruce, you have the last one. Anything else you want to say before we get get out of here? Bruce no. shakes. No, but <laughs> with Jacques Tourneur, let's say yes. See you guys next week.